Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is Podcast 249, Maximize Your Influence. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your email, your love, and support. Remember at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And, of course, that's also YouTube and Facebook at Maximize Your Influence. Like us. Contact me with jokes, blunders, ninjas, derogatory remarks, whatever you got. Glad to get those here. So Maximize Your Influence. We have listener email. We've got a blunder today. Just getting back from Seattle, Washington, doing a seminar on buy-in, creating change. How do you motivate other people? And a lot of high-tech firms there working with millennials. Some challenges there, I guess. Lots of people from the government. And I thought the prerequisite, you couldn't be motivated to work for the government. And I said that. And I got a little laugh. But the people there were very motivated. But there are people within government. I think if you've ever been to the DMV or other government institutions, not a lot of motivation, not a lot of buy-in, not a lot of passion. Some issues that we worked on. Had a lot of fun. But being in Seattle, the sun was out. It was over 90 degrees. I don't know what was going on. Because my wife's from the Seattle area, and seeing the sun is kind of a rare thing. We've even lived in the Seattle area for a while and realized that we like the sun. And I'll, I'll give you this Seattle, the Pacific Northwest. It's one of my favorite places when the sun's out. Just got to get the sun out. It is a very beautiful place. So shout out to Seattle. Had a good seminar as we talked about change, buy-in, influence, and motivation. So let's kick things off with a ninja. I was going to do a blunder, but I think we'll do a ninja this time. Ninja go. So there's this local corporation. Not going to name names here. There's about 50 people that every year go on a corporate retreat to the same place every time. Very hot. Not everyone's favorite, but there's about five vocal people, about 10% that always want to go back. That's a place. They don't want to try anything different. They don't want to do it. A lot of resistance. And these are some opinion leaders. And they were asking my advice and what to do. I'm like, oh, yeah, law of social validation. You've read Maximum Influence. In fact, if you want the free book, Maximum Influence, but you got to pick up your own shipping, is at lawsofinfluence.com. But social validation, you're basically borrowing credibility from other people. I said do an anonymous survey, a poll. Send it out to the 50 people anonymously and let them vote where they want to go. ha, <laughs> ha. And they got about 70% of the vote wanting to change, going to a different place. And it just showed the other vocal five people that they were not the majority, the other viewpoints, and that started the conversation and let them go some other place. So many times, a little social validation, a little survey, a little poll, when you know that the majority is on your side and you can nudge people in the right directions. Hey, four out of five dentists recommend. That's a pretty easy, simple thing. You're like, okay, so the fifth dentist is like, all right, I'll recommend it too. Not always, but you know what I'm talking about with social validation. So that worked very well. That is the ninja social validation. Although one of the managers that did not want to change was claiming some Russian involvement. So I'm not sure what that meant. But we got the numbers they got what they wanted, and they were very, very persuasive. And from the ninja, let's jump to the geeky article. 
So my third book I wrote was on the laws of charisma, trying to quantify what is a charismatic person. And the reason I focused on charisma was pretty simple. I always teach that most people only use four to five persuasion techniques and that there's over a hundred. That if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you treat everyone like a nail. The question I always got was, well, if there's a hundred tools, what's the most important? And the answer is charisma. When you're charismatic, people want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. It makes things easy and you can learn charisma. I guarantee it. Charisma makes everything easier. And so I was going through these articles. This is from the journal Personality and Social Psychology, trying to simplify charisma. Also, the University of Toronto and the Wall Street Journal and Inc. Magazine also talked about charisma and the importance of charisma and this study. So what happened is researchers asked participants to rate themselves on a series of qualities that described charismatic people. And they broke it down to two factors. Again, they're trying to really simplify this here. Influence, that would be your leadership ability and strength of presence, and your affability, which is being pleasant, approachable, ability to connect with people. That's what they were looking for. Again, the very simplified version of charisma here. And they narrowed it down to six traits. I'm going to go over the six, and if you want to, if you're not driving, rate yourself one to five at each behavior, five being the highest. So the first one is presence in a room. And I agree with that one. When you walk in the room, do people notice? Do people want to be around you? Do they want to talk to you? Do they notice you? Are you part of the conversation? What's going on? That is your presence. And again, that can be learned. So are you one to five on that one? Have the ability to influence people. One to five. That's pretty broad. We can talk about leadership. We can talk about negotiation. We can talk about persuasion. We can talk about sales skills. There's a lot of things to go with that. It's important. You need to be influential. But that's a very narrow category when it should be probably four or five different other ones. But in general, influence, one to five. Third one knows how to lead the group. Now, leadership's part of charisma, obviously. And the challenge with that is that most managers think they're leaders and they're not. When someone's a manager, you do it because you have to. A leader, you do it because you want to. So there might be a little self-perception bias there since... 92% of all managers rate their managerial skills and leadership skills as above average, and we know that's not true because people tend to rate the skills they think they should have in business much higher than they actually are. Makes people feel comfortable, one to five on that one. And again, I don't think most people know that category very well. Are you sucking the life out of people? Do they feel repelled? Do they feel comfortable? Do they feel like taking a shower? Not with you, but because of you, (laughs) right? So what is it? There's a lot of variables there. Are you connecting? Are you optimistic? Are you building a vision? Do you have empathy? I mean, there's a lot of variables there, but comfortable, they like to be around you. The next one is smile. Uh, That's a good one. Smile is very contagious. It can't be part of charisma. It can't be part of your people skills, but smiles are important. But the challenge is, That depends on culture. That depends on the situation. I mean, there's those cheesy smiles, those fake smiles, those pedophile smiles, those creepy smiles. Any of those smiles we got to be careful with. But overall, smiles can be good. Do you have a good smile and are you using it? And the last one, can you get along with anyone? Hmm. That's one of the first tools of persuasion we teach is learning to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. It's easy to get along with people that are like you, but could you adapt to somebody and like somebody and connect with somebody with a different personality? Different culture, different age group, different political belief, different religious belief. Can you connect? Are you tolerant? Everyone claims to be tolerant, but they're pointing fingers yelling at the other group. There's hardly any tolerance anywhere because you should be able to get along with other beliefs and personalities and styles. 
and even other departments. So if you have your score and divide it by six, that's your average charisma score. And here's the number that they came up with. Again, I'm not sure how they did it, but they came up with 3.7. If you're over 3.7, you're more charismatic than the average person. Again, very simplified. There's a lot of other factors to charisma, but that's kind of a good overview I like to see of getting started and understanding where you are with charisma, that connection, that influence, because charisma is a power tool. And yes, you can learn charisma. And if you want to take a look at the charismatic coaching I've done for my advanced students, that's at lawsofpersuasion.com. Let me know what you think. And now it's time for listener email. Oh, boy. This is from Sarah in Florida. It says, Kurt, thanks for sharing your wisdom and your insight in your podcast. I love it. I listen to it every week. I am loving your course on persuasive presentation. It's really helped me take my influence to the next level. Here is my question. How do you motivate people? I've been loving your last couple podcasts on slumps. And a couple weeks ago, you mentioned just briefly motivation. But I wanted you to take a deeper dive to help me understand motivation, not only personally, but getting other people out of slumps and help other people motivate themselves. Oh, Sarah, great question. How do we motivate ourselves? How do we motivate other people? You can't. Not true, you can. Some people say you can't make a horse go to water. Well, if you give it a lot of salt, it's going to go to the water. (laughs) You can motivate yourself. Other people say, well, motivation doesn't last, so you shouldn't do it. Well, neither does a shower, but you should take one every once in a while. The way you motivate yourself, the way you motivate other people is very similar. And I spent years trying to crack this code, trying to figure it out. And let me share it with you. Help you visualize it. Hope you could write this down on a piece of paper. I also talked about change in meta programs on podcast 106. If you want to go to the archives on influenceuniversity.com. Challenge for most people, managers, and even the seminar we had this weekend in Seattle is the way you motivate others is how you like to be motivated. And that's wrong because managers think, oh, compensation is the most important. Job security is the most important. Growth opportunities are both important. And that didn't even make the top of the list when you ask the employee what motivates them. The employee said interesting work, being appreciated, being well-informed. I mean, compensation didn't come in until number five. And managers thought it was number one. Because people work for a lot less money. When they're working for a company that has a cause or purpose, they like the people they work with, they love what they're doing, they're appreciated they're making a difference, that seems to be a deciding factor for motivation. So here's big pictures are talking about motivation. The reality is there's only really two motivators in life. There's two. Some people say pleasure and pain. Some say reward, punishment. I like to say what my early mentor talked about, Jim Rohn. He said it's either inspiration or desperation. That's it. Desperation, you're moving away from something you don't like where you are versus inspiration, you're moving towards something you like where you're going. Very different motivators. And this is where people tend to blow it with the motivation. The first thing, it's not always the same every day. It could change day by day. You can't always use the same motivation. Sometimes desperation is the only thing we have. I'm thinking you've probably never been to a dentist out of inspiration, but at least you went out of desperation because desperation is better than inactivity. But if you're trying to motivate somebody and they're in desperation, you can tell in their demeanor and their word choice they're moving away from something. 
crank it up. If you were doing a performance review and yeah, it's time to get fired, you're close, crank up the desperation, crank up the pain, and buffer it with a little inspiration, a little hope. We can fix this. We can change this. That's the key. So when they're in desperation, crank it up and then buffer it with a little inspiration. But here's where many influencers blow it. Is that when someone's in inspiration, you got to stay there. You can't go to desperation or fear. You have to stay in inspiration. That's where they are. Keep up the future, the hope, the vision, where we're going, the cause, the purpose, the passion. Stay in inspiration. So let me map this out for you and take it another step further. If you look at inspiration and desperation, let's draw a little chart here. And I'll post one of these on MaximizeYourInfluence.com so you can take a look or draw it out yourself. So draw a horizontal line, put desperation on the left, inspiration on the right. Draw a vertical line right through the middle like a grid. Put internal, internal drive on the top or external pressure at the bottom. So inspiration or desperation can be either internal, from inside, or other people, external factors. So let's start with the short-term motivators. They're in the lower left quadrant, right in force or fear. So external desperation is basically fear. or You're getting forced to do something. Let's take your present job, for example. You hate your job. You don't want to go. It's Monday morning. What external things would give you desperation or fear that would cause you to go to work even though you didn't want to? Let's see. Get fired, not be able to pay the bills, get kicked out of your house, lose your spouse, <laughs> trying to find another job, the economy, all these things play through your brain and you probably go to work. That's why most heart attacks I've heard happen on Monday morning. So it works. Very short term. It's very difficult to live there full time. Then the upper left-hand quadrant, internal desperation, right in obligation or duty. Monday morning, you don't want to go to work. You really don't want to go to work. But what internal thing, something from the inside would give you desperation or obligation or duty to get to go to work? You know, I've worked there for 10 years. They've been pretty good to me and... And so-and-so is waiting for me to finish that report. And, and the team's expecting me to be there to do this, this, and this. That duty, that obligation to a client, to a customer, to a member of your team could give you obligation or duty to get you to go to work. Still on the desperation side. A little bit better than fear, but still desperation. But let's move over to the right inspiration. The lower right-hand corner, that's external inspiration. You're doing it out of love or respect. You love going to work, you respect the people you work with, you like the CEO, you like the vice president, you like your manager, you really respect your coworkers, or maybe you're doing it because you love your children, you want to send them to the best school, take your spouse on a world cruise. Those external things can inspire you through love and respect to get you to go to work. But the very last one up top, the internal inspiration, from inside, you have purpose and passion. You wake up, you don't even need an alarm clock to wake yourself up in the morning. You have that purpose, your passion, you're changing lives, you're changing the world. You have a purpose, you have a cause, you love what you're doing. That's probably the best motivator, the most long-term. Now, when I always ask, which one should you use? I get a blank stare sometimes and people finally get the answer, which is all of the above. You're not going to always be passionate and sometimes all you have is fear. So the people you work with, or you're trying to influence, sometimes all you have is fear. So if I'm persuading somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I'd probably peg the where they're at and slowly build them up to get from desperation to inspiration. But if I'm speaking to a group, I'd probably use each one of these in my presentation, starting with fear and moving up to passion. 
So here's the key for your own personal motivation. Think of your biggest goal, write it down, and then put two or three things into each one of these areas. And when you don't feel like doing the things you know you need to do, pull out this chart, look at your reasons, and you're going to find something that motivates you. And here's the secret. Some days it's going to be fear. That's all you have. Some days it's going to be passion. But it's different. You have to adapt to your own personal motivation and those that you're trying to motivate, change, or influence. For example, consulting with a weight loss clinic, this is what we did. We had them list reasons in each one of these quadrants. What's fear? I'm going to die. Dead. Dead, dead, dead. <laughs> that can be very motivating sometimes. Maybe the obligation to your coworkers or to yourself, I'm better than this. I should be taking better care of myself. Maybe love or respect for your children, your grandchildren, your family to live longer. Maybe the purpose or passion to live a long life, to create a charity, to give back, to help out, to change the world. It depends on you. You can put whatever you want. But again, you put three things in each one of those quadrants and you have that moment. You don't feel like doing it. Pull it out. I guarantee you something's going to motivate you. So Sarah, I hope that helps. That's a deeper dive than we took last time as far as getting out of those slumps. This is a big one. Being able to motivate yourself, stay motivated is critical. And there are a couple other factors. Again, I'm giving you a big picture here. If you're trying to inspire somebody, you have to make sure it's something they want. Is the reward big enough for them to do it? Do they have the tools to do it? Does it seem too difficult in their brain? And do they feel like they could do it in the time frame? Those are all other factors that we got to take a look at. If they don't want to do it, or the reward's too small, or they don't know how to do it with the tools, or if it's so overwhelming, so big, and so difficult, that will shut them down. And if you need it in a day and they think they need a month, that could be very demotivating. And so that's important when you think it through. If you're trying to inspire somebody to motivate somebody, you got to keep those things in mind. Do they want it? Is the reward big enough? Do they have the tools? How difficult is their perception, and can they do it in the time frame? Now, that's when you want to use inspiration. Now, if you want to use desperation, now you got to back up a little bit and think, okay, what's their fear? you got to tap into their fear. Not that it's a fear to you. Is it a fear to them? Is it something imminent that's right around the road? Because remember, fear is a very short-term motivator. Is it imminent? Are the consequences of what could happen big enough? I mean, does it really scare them? Hey, you're going to work at McDonald's. Well, maybe they want to work at McDonald's. Maybe they don't want to go to college. When you say, get good grades, you're going to work at McDonald's. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they like that. Maybe that's not a consequence or a fear. Again, do they have the tools to do this? And just like inspiration, what is the difficulty level with that? And can they do it in the time frame? If you want to get buy-in, if you want to change somebody, you want to motivate somebody, it's all part of this process, this formula. Because you can't get someone to change unless they're motivated to do it. You can't get buy-in unless they see where they fit in, exactly what they need to do, having the right tools and the right motivation to do it, or just pure motivation to get other people to want to do it, to stay on track, to stay motivated. Your job is to give them the salt, just like the horse example. I use give them the salt, make them thirsty, get them motivated, tap into it, and remember today's important point. It's not going to be the same every day for your own personal motivation and when you motivate other people. So I will post that on MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Share it with your friends, families, enemies, pets, postal workers. I'm just naming names. Whoever you want to, please share it. Please like it. It really helps us out. 
Appreciate everyone being here. Appreciate your emails. Let us know what you think. Kurt, KURT at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's our podcast number 249 on the science of motivation. Again, thanks, Sarah, for your email and your kind words. Always appreciate those. Learn these skills, master these tools. Talk about upward mobility. Talk about increased income. Talk about relationships. It's all going to come back to persuasion and influence. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening and go out and persuade with power.